Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 21st of April 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, and brings a message entitled, The Message of the Empty Tomb. Now, we're turning in God's Word to one of the great chapters in the Bible with regard to the resurrection. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read some verses from this chapter this evening. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we give thanks to God for his infallible word. The history of many a Christian hymn or song has grown from the soil of sorrow and great pain. 
Bill and Gloria, Gloria uh, Gator's ministry has been widely accepted and applauded throughout the Christian church. Their ministry has been used to bless the hearts of many men and women. And the hymn that we've just sung was a hymn that was grown out of the soil of pain and sorrow. It was penned at an Easter time in their church. A family friend had undergone major surgery and the outlook was not too bright. And the hymn that they wrote answered a lot of fears and those fears can't be summed up in one question. How can I face tomorrow? How can I face tomorrow with all its uncertainty? With all its unknown experiences? With all its untrodden pathways? And the answer, of course, is this. Thank God you and I can face tomorrow because he lives. John Calvin in his writing says, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important article of our faith. The godly bishop J.C. Ryle says, In an age of increasing unbelief and skepticism, we shall find that the resurrection of Jesus Christ will bear any weight we care to lay on it. Douglas Webster says the resurrection is something to shout about, speak about, and sing about. It's an explosive event whose fallout affects the whole human race. Lord Darling, once the Lord Chief Justice of England said, no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. Some years ago, a documentary film was released which drew widespread public publicity both in the press and on television. The film was called The Lost Tomb of Christ. And it claimed that a casket found in a tomb discovered in Jerusalem in 1980 contained the bones of Jesus. And if these really were Jesus' bones, then it would follow that Jesus died and was buried but did not rise from the dead as Christians claim. And so people ask the question, does it really matter? Some who claim to be Christians say it doesn't really matter. What matters is following Christ's teaching and keeping the spirit of Christianity alive. Others claim that it does matter and that in fact the whole Christian faith depends on this one thing. And this is not a new question. In fact, Christians in the first century had concerns over the question of the resurrection. And in his first letter to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul explained that if there is no resurrection, then Christ hasn't risen, and if Christ hasn't risen, then the whole Christian hope falls down. And in fact, Christians are to be pitied more than anything else because they have put their faith and they have put their hope in a lie. But the Christian message is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. Conquering death and in claiming that Christ had indeed risen, Paul also presented the church in Corinth with proof regarding the resurrection. First of all, the resurrection was not a new idea, but it had been predicted in the Old Testament. We learn that in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. Then there are the resurrection appearances to Peter and then 
All of the disciples, verse 5, to more than 500 disciples, most of whom were still alive, when Paul wrote then to James, his brother, and then to Paul himself. And in addition, the disciples who had been huddled together in fear after the crucifixion were transformed because the risen Christ had appeared to them and a prominent part of their preaching was that Christ was alive and that they had been eyewitnesses of this indisputable fact. And then, of course, there is the continuing testimony of countless people throughout the centuries and across the world who claim to have been changed because of the risen presence of Jesus Christ in their lives. The Christian gospel that we love, the Christian gospel that we preach, that we proclaim, that we uphold, is not about a tradition. It's not about a lifestyle. But it's about a person who died and rose again and who offers forgiveness and salvation to all who will come to him. And so we repeat the question, does it really matter? And we answer, yes, it matters to all of us because all of us have sinned and guilty of breaking God's law. One day we will appear before the Lord. In judgment, but Jesus was offered up as a sacrifice for sin on that first Good Friday as we focused in on, on Friday evening. And as we thought about this morning, on the third day, he rose again, conquering death, and now he lives. And because Jesus lives, our God is able to save completely all who come unto him through Jesus Christ his son. And tonight I just want to say one or two things as we bring our service to a close. And it's based on this great truth in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. But Christ has been raised from the dead and has become the firstfruits of them that sleep. I think it was when the Austin of Radio Ulster fame, who once asked a question on her broadcast, if it was proved that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, would you still believe in Christianity? To which the answer was given, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, there is no such a thing as Christianity. What do I learn tonight? Well, I learned that the resurrection testifies to certain truths that we would do well to consider. It testifies, first of all, to a debt that has been met. Sin in the Bible is described in a variety of ways. The word that is used is the word transgression. Sin makes us defiant. Sin makes us unable to satisfy God and to reach the mark, it makes us defective. Sin is defined as iniquity. Sin not only makes us defiant and defective, it distorts our thinking. And sin, of course, is deceptive. There's nothing more deceitful than the deceitfulness of sin. And the devil paints sin in very attractive and very alluring uh, colors. And so tonight, we give thanks to God that in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, a debt 
has been penned. I read this the other day, and I thought it was very interesting. The article said the full impact of Christmas will not really be understood until Easter. The full impact of Christmas will not really be understood until Easter. It's a quote from the financial world. And what they're saying is this, that excessive spending in December can affect personal and national debt. We know that debt is a problem that worries many people and can plunge them into distress and ultimately bankruptcy. The financiers have come up with many ideas how to deal with debt, from reducing the interest rate to spending our way out of it. But from a spiritual perspective this evening, we all have a debt. However, we cannot pay off that debt. No matter how hard we try, we are in debt to God. We have an obligation to Him that we cannot meet on our own. God created us and continues to give us life and breath. That's what amazes me about unbelievers. The Bible talks about common grace. That's the term theologians use. And it simply means that the very breath that we breathe, unconverted people, is given by God and can be withdrawn by God at any moment of time. He is the creator God. And every man and woman and boy or girl have their sustenance and have their energy from him and him alone. God created us and continues to give us life and breath. Yet so many can ignore him and refuse to believe his word, the Bible. The Bible that teaches us we are spiritually bankrupt, dragged down by our own sin against the Holy God. And every day we add to our sin debt by falling short of God's standard of perfection. We belong to that category defined in Romans 3 and 23 where Paul says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And many try to reduce their debt by good works or religion. But the Bible explains that in comparison to God's holiness, all our righteousness All our self-righteousness, the very best that we can do, are defined as filthy rags. The debt, if unpaid, leaves us in great danger, for the wages of sin is death. And this is not just physical death, but eternal death, separation from God and hell. And like the financial climate, this seems bleak debt with no means of payment. There is no good news. But we also discover in the word of God that God who is holy is also loving and not willing that any should perish. And the Lord Jesus, God's son, came into the world as a baby, but the full impact of that Christmas was not really understood until Easter. He lived a holy life. He lived a sin-free life. And the only way out of our sin debt, the only way our sin debt could be paid and our punishment taken away was if someone perfect took our place. And the Lord Jesus went to the cross at Calvary. And the writer to the Hebrews makes this tremendous statement. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He knew sin could not be ignored And had to be punished, so he bore it for us. And on the cross he cried out, It is finished. His mission was accomplished. 
And God showed his pleasure and satisfaction by raising the Lord Jesus from the grave. And tonight he's alive and he's in heaven. A debt has been paid. He paid a debt I did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Thank God tonight there's a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stain. Beloved, no matter how often you've sinned. No matter how long you've sinned. There's mercy with the Lord. Maybe the devil is saying to you tonight. You've sinned too long. Your sin is too great. Just wait till the meeting's over. Get out of the meeting and forget all about what you're hearing. Oh friend, I beg you tonight. To shun the voice of the evil one and to listen to the voice of God and to realize that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ sends out this great message that a debt has been met. But there's a detail here that has meaning. Notice what Paul says. He tells us that he is the first fruits of them that sleep. He uses a harvest terminology. The people would have known what he was talking about. It was the first fruits of the harvest. And in the Old Testament, a sheaf of corn would have been brought in to the priest. And he would have been into the presence of the Lord and he would have waved the sheaf before the Lord. And the first fruits was an indication that the harvest would follow and would be gathered in. Let me tell you tonight, that the grave is not the end. The grave is not the end for the believer. And the grave is certainly not the end for the unbeliever. He is the first fruits of them that sleep. He is the guarantee. For by a man came death. Paul says in Romans, through one man's disobedience, Sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men and that all of sin. By a man came death. By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also who? In Christ shall all be made alive. The old hymn says there's life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. And my dear friends, don't believe anyone that tells you that once death comes and crosses your brow, that that's it. It's over. There's nothing more to worry about. If you're not in Christ tonight, you have everything to worry about. But if you are in Christ, the Bible teaches us that the best is yet to be. You see, his resurrection is the assurance that the work on the cross is finished, that God was satisfied and he demonstrated his satisfaction by raising Jesus from the dead and by assuring us that if we fall asleep in Jesus, we also shall be raised to meet him. But there's something else that you need to understand tonight. For in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there is a testimony not only to a debt that has been met and to a detail that has meaning, 
but also to a decree that has been made. We have been celebrating the resurrection today. We have been singing the praises of God. We have been rejoicing as believers that Jesus Christ is alive. What a wonderful message. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful occasion. But my dear friends, remember this tonight. That the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ sends out this chilling note tonight. That God has not overlooked man's sin. That God has not overlooked the sins of the world. There is a decree that has been made. Paul on one occasion was preaching at a place called Athens. And he was totally alarmed at the idolatry and the false worship. They even had an idol set up to an unknown God. And as Paul preaches, Dr. Luke records his sermon. And here's what Paul says in Acts chapter 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind. It means to change the direction. It means to have an about turn. It means that you have a different attitude to God and to his word and to his directions. God commands all people everywhere to repent. It means to to turn away from your sin and in turning away from your sin, turn to the one who died for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has commanded all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who is the judge? The Lord Jesus. How can we be sure? Because the resurrection is the authoritative declaration that God will judge this world. It will be a righteous judgment. It will be a judgment that every unbelieving sinner will not escape. No false excuses. No false reasoning. No selfish notions. The judge who sees and knows all things will judge the world. What a day for the blasphemer. For the person who mocked God, who made light of God. Who used his name carelessly and thoughtlessly. Who entertained godless audiences at the expense of a holy and a righteous God. What a judgment. But what a judgment for those who had the privilege of hearing the gospel. Who had the privilege of responding to the grace of God. And they identified themselves with the crowd, not verbally, but internally, by saying, away with him. Crucify him. We will not have this man to reel over us. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ tells us, yes, a debt has been met. A detail that has meaning, but a decree that has been made. 
an empty tomb, an occupied throne in heaven, teaches us that God will judge the world. A dreadful experience that awaits those who are out of Christ. He has set the day. He has appointed the judge. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead leaves us in no doubt about that. Paul tells us that when they heard about the resurrection, some of them sneered and others said, we want to hear you again on this matter. Christ has become the first fruits of them that sleep. Christ who has been raised from the dead. A testimony that sends out this message, a debt has been met. A detail that has meaning, a decree that has been made, and a day that has been mentioned. I didn't read these verses, but Paul closes the chapter with them. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, if I were to use that word mystery in the company of some boys and girls and ask them to write down a word that they thought about when I said the word mystery, they might use the word spooky. They might use the word fear. They might use the word intimidation. But that's not what the word means. When Paul uses the word mystery, he's talking about something which hitherto he had never talked about before. You see, these recipients of this letter only understood death in terms of those who were living. And they were of the persuasion that the only way that you come into the presence of God was through the grave and into heaven. But we know there's another way. The hymn writer puts it like this, the sky, not the grave, is our goal. And Paul writes about this day. And he says, I tell you, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. When the perishable has put on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O grave, Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about that glorious occasion when the Lord himself shall come to the sky, the trumpet having been sounded, and the archangel's voice heard by the redeemed. He writes on a similar note to the church at Thessalonica. And he says, but we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep. You see, they were worried. They were worried about their loved ones who had died, their loved ones who had followed the Lord. They were no longer with them and they were in the grave. What's going to happen to them? Paul writes, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. 
that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there we're back at the resurrection. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with a command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I think it was the great reformer Martin Luther who said, Live as if Christ died yesterday. He was raised today and he's coming tomorrow. My dear friends, I have no need to inform an informative, intelligent congregation like this tonight by saying to you, the coming of the Lord is drawing near. We're living in the very last of the last days. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ not only reminds me of a debt that has been met and a detail that is meaningful and a decree that has been made, but a day that is mentioned. The coming of the Lord when the saints will be raptured. When there will be this glorious translation and transformation. You know, I sang or tried to sing in a male voice choir when I was a young man. And I learned not very long into the choir what has been known as the national anthem of male voice singing. When the last day shall come, and the roll shall be called, and the saints meet the Saviour in the air, when the pilgrim and strangers at last reach their home, we'll be there. Praise God, we'll be there. We shall ne'er say goodbye in that home of the soul. There will not be a burden or a care. And when Jesus shall say, Enter in with thy Lord, we'll be there. Will you? Will you be there? In an hour when you think not, the Son of Man will come. Two will be in the bed, one taken, the other left. Two will be in the field plowing, one will be taken, one will be left. Oh, on this Easter, Lord's Day evening, as we have considered the great truth of the resurrection, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that sleep. As we've considered the testimony of the resurrection, that it testifies to a debt that has been met, a detail that is meaningful, a decree that is mentioned, and a day that is yet to be. Is it your Lord tonight? Is he your Savior? Have you put your hands into his nail-pierced hands? Have you ever said, Jesus, I will trust you? 
trust you with my soul. Guilty, lost, helpless. Thou canst make me whole. We thank God for his word tonight. May he bless it to all our hearts. For his name's sake. Amen.